When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Welcome to another Psychoethical Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Kirkpatrick. Uh, nice to, nice to be back. Uh, I, don't, I feel like I feel like I only did this yesterday, but uh, time time seems to be kind of losing all its kind of meaning. Like I feel like I haven't got enough enough hours in the day at the moment, but yet at the same time, like time seems kind of endless. Like I'm living in this house with my with my uh sort of mother-in-law and father-in-law and my brother-in-law it's uh, uh it's highly it's highly uh is it dysfunctional i don't know we've not had too many not had too many arguments but my my father-in-law is is uh i hope he won't be listening to this but he's kind of uh mad he's kind of insane uh he's trying to i've, I've probably mentioned this before uh he's pr- he's trying to basically cure cancer by by um something to do with like the genome so he's been but he does it on piece he does it on pieces of paper so he has all these thousands and thousands and thousands of sheets of paper with uh with dots on and he he manually is manually going through the the human genome and he's uh i think he's comparing it to something else and he uh, there's lots of highlighting there's lots of sellotaping sheets of paper together and uh, but recently he's been distracted by has been distracted by the this thing that's going on at the moment. As I like to mention its name, and so he's trying to cure the. He's trying to cure that before everybody else does. So he's he's got all sorts of interesting um interesting ideas about what's what's going on and and how it in anyway. So, but he's uh he's one of these people. Where I'd love. I'd like. I'd like to make a film. So he calls it sequences. Like he's basically spends every day doing his sequences, and he's been doing this for maybe like twenty. 20 something years or something and I'd love to make a film about him doing it because you can't tell if he's probably totally insane you won't mind me t- saying this about him you can't tell he's, uh, he's either totally insane or he's an absolute genius now he is actually someone who is you know he was you know he went to Oxford University he was like a you know he's like a amazing sort of mathematician he was you know, involved in computers before computers were a thing. So he is actually a, he is actually a genius, um, but it's very hard to tell. There's a very fine line between someone who's a genius and someone who's like totally mad because 
you know, what he's, the way he's trying to do it, doing it by hand with pieces of paper, I kind of suspect that even if he did manage to work out, find a cure for cancer or find some important sort of piece of evidence towards something, I just don't think anyone else could understand it apart from him. So, you know, like if he if he died tomorrow, that all that information would just disappear into the you know into the atmosphere. So, uh, so yeah. But anyway, he he kind of he kind of lives in his roby. You know, like those roby things that people wear when they go swimming, uh, when they're getting changed. Well, that's kind of all he wears. So he's kind of this kind of messianic, messianic. Anyways, he looks like Jesus basically. Like a sort of seventy-year-old Jesus, like walking around in his uh, in his roby. Um, he doesn't he doesn't get up. He doesn't wake up until about. He doesn't get out of bed till about two o'clock. He's a bit like a sort of a roll. He's a bit like a roll doll kind of character. Gets out of bed about two o'clock, and then he probably goes to bed about two or three o'clock in the morning, and he's kind of walking around the house and doing his stuff. So, um, so that's kind of. <laughs> So yes, that's kind of funny, and so he, he, so that's Jeff. Jeff's my father-in-law, and then my brother-in-law is Jeffrey. So he's, he's, there's some kind of a Scandinavian thing going on, you know. So he's like Jeff, and then they call this son the same name, um, and uh, and uh, Jeffrey's a barrister, uh, but he's like the most um, super precise person I've ever met. Like when he uh, when he's scraping his plate into the into the bin, it takes about. 10 minutes because he's you know so precise so um you know so it's kind of funny like living in this house and then mother-in-law is uh is um you know it's like 75 year old like woman who's like very like tons of energy like she was she was like up the ladder like cleaning all the windows yesterday and I was like is she not a bit old to be like cleaning the windows like we're, we're sitting there like reading the newspaper you know in uh like, oh yeah, by the way, thank you, thank you. Someone sent me the what you call that glass, glass building conservatory. That's what it's called on the side of a house. Like, I couldn't remember what it's called. So, you know, we're sitting in the conservatory watching this 75 year old woman, you know, on a ladder, like cleaning all the windows. I'm like, oh, do you think she's a bit old to be like cleaning the windows? Um, you know, and maybe, maybe she, maybe she get like a window cleaner. Uh, instead of like jumping up and saying, oh, "I'll clean the windows," you know, I'm too—I I can't be asked doing that. So I like—I always, I always one of my one of my all-time heroes is is a uh, Quentin Crisp. Uh, if anybody doesn't know who Quentin Crisp is, then uh, go on YouTube and look at what Quentin Crisp is like—an amazing, amazing, amazing guy. Um, I think I probably mentioned him on here before. Uh, like, what, what? One thing I loved about Quentin Crisp is he. he he just didn't care what anybody thought about him. Like he was just, he just kind of just said just exactly what he thought. Like he, he just, uh, he didn't, you know, he didn't really take any sides. So like, you know, like he was, you know, he was like, he was like one of the first probably openly gay, um, people in, you know, in entertainment. Well, he wasn't in entertainment. He was like a writer really, but he was, uh, he, he did, he did a great documentary, a great, it was it a book anyway. There's a, there's a real good, um, thing the naked civil servant because he he had a job as a as a nude model in london so he was technically like a, a civil servant and he was there naked so it was a very good uh drama uh is it drama made about him starring that man uh john hurt uh it's very good anyway i think there's a, there's a sequel as well and that that sting song uh uh, is it an alien in New York? Is it an alien in- anywhere? That that sting sting song is a bit is a bit terrible, isn't it? If you end up like, that's uh, so ask people to know who you are because of a song that sting sting song. So, 
Sting song. So, um, my point, yes, uh, Nicky Silver Servant, uh, John Hurt, Quentin Crisp, uh, anyway, otherwise, yeah, like he, he, Quentin Crisp, uh, everyone, you know, like he was op- openly gay and he, he didn't like Princess Diana, you know, like if you were gay, everyone had to love Princess Diana and he just said she was uh, horrible or something. So, anyway, look, look him up, Quentin Crisp, um, interesting, interesting character, but. Back to my point, Quentin Chris believes that if you didn't dust, the dust only got to a certain depth and then it stopped growing, uh, which is probably true. So I, I've, I've tried to sort of tell that to my uh, mother-in-law, but she doesn't, doesn't believe me that that's true. But people don't seem to dust as much as they used to do. I don't know why. It's a bit like, you know, when you used to drive around in a car when you were younger, like the windscreen was always covered in, in dead insects. And people often say like, oh, there's no dead insects, not so many dead insects. That means it's like because of... Um, climate change there aren't so many insects around but it's primarily to do with like aerodynamic the shape of cars is more aerodynamic so maybe the maybe the shape of uh, houses is more dust dust resistant maybe so there's not it's not as dusty i guess it was it did used to be bloody uh a lot of pollution uh when i was like when you were a kid there's a lot of pollution so people were smoking and everything else so maybe that was I mean, people like maybe shed, people maybe shed more skin in those days. People maybe there was like more skin shedding going on. I think, I think that's what a lot of dust is. Is their skin? Maybe I don't know. Anyway, it's a bit of a disgusting sort of topic. But my point is, <laughs> is it's kind of it's kind of uh, you. So here in Ireland, they call it cocooning. You're not allowed to leave the house, uh, which I don't really agree with. But um, uh, it, it's. Uh, we, we we have come into contact with other people every now and again. It seems to be the level of the level of kind of insanity, as uh, insanity stroke, um, you know, sticking to the rules is based on how much television you watch, and how much news you watch. And I I got into a little bit of a mini argument with somebody about this, and uh, and I said you need you need to like you know get you you get your news from more and more from more sources than you than you're having. And they were like, no, but I watched I watched Channel Four News, I watched BBC News, I watched ITV News, and I watched Sky News. And I was like, that exactly, exactly what I'm talking about. So uh, anyway, you all know what I think about the news. The news is like anyway. Um, <laughs> um, but the other day, my uh, my mother-in-law managed to sneak out. She managed to escape from our from the from the from the prison that is our house. And I had the, I was I was wondering the day if like. Uh, if in prisons, if every week, if everybody, if every, if all the prisoners ever like clap, clap for the prison guards or something. Um, anyway, so so the she escaped from the prison, and you know, one minute she's there, next minute she's gone. I'm like, oh, I'm going to get into trouble. Like the guards are going to come around. In Ireland, the police call the guards, so just not literally guards, and not actually guards here. Um, they're not really, they're not really highly, they don't seem to be highly effective in Ireland. Uh, the guards, so the uh, they kind of went. See where she disappeared, and I was like, oh no, we need to track her out, like release the hounds. Um, where could she have gone? Like get, like get the drone up, you know, get a, get a helicopter onto this. Um, and then she came back, and uh, she'd gone to the, she'd been like in the house for like a month. Um, she has been, she has been going on little walks around, uh, but she's been in the house for like a month. And she'd been to the bank. Now the bank's only like two hundred meters away from from the front door. But anyway, that's you know she could have like bumped into a lot of small children, or who knows what could have happened. So 
So you went to the bank and the security guard, there was a security guard outside the bank for some reason, and he asked her how old she was when she wanted to go in. He said, I'm 75. And he said, you can't come in. You're too old. So she was like, she was like, what? You know, she's like, she's a fiery, fiery Irish woman. You wouldn't want to do that. And, uh, you know, she's been like going to that bank for, you know, maybe like 50 years, maybe lo- maybe longer, like all her life has been going to that same bank. And now someone's saying she can't go in there to pay her bills. So anyway, the guy was obviously so intimidated. She, uh, he went in and he, and they allowed her to go in. Like there was no one in the bank, by the way. Like no, you know, you know, only three people allowed in the bank at a time anyway. But there's nobody around here. And so she, so she came back and she was all, you know, like oh god, you know, like you know, so kind of pissed off and disturbed at the same time. And so being a being tech savvy, I kind of uh, I kind of. Uh, tweeted to the bank AIB in Ireland and was like you know my mother-in-law has just been in here and uh you know she wasn't allowed in and you know she's no she's no threat to anybody and this is like some kind of social euthanasia very I thought that was quite good social euthanasia of old people because I don't think I don't really I really don't think that the government or you know the state give a fuck about old people i really i really don't so um is you know whatever's going on is nothing to do with old people so she uh but and, and usually when you when you when you tweet these things you always get a response uh quite quickly because there's like some you know some someone's like sitting there like it's paid to see tweet any tweets that come up with a negative and they reply and they, of course like straight away they kind of replied like oh very sorry to hear about this and can you tell us what branch it was and and it's one of those things. As soon as you see that, you're like, "Well, I don't want to. I don't want to get anyone into trouble for this." Like, and uh, I was just like, "Just, just tell people that it's not. You know, this is not the law. The old people can't leave their houses. You know, this is like, you know, this is this is advice. It's not, you know, legally binding. You know, you can't go to prison for leaving your house. Just, just tell people that. Just tell people that because uh, people don't know what the fuck they're doing. So, but um, I, I. What I, what I kind of failed to apply, which I think is, I think it's, I, I try, I try and do this as much as possible. But it's kind of hard because I'm a, because I'm a human being, and human beings are, are generally just faulty in all, in all, in all manner of things. Is, um, is, is if you, if you, if you always try and think, if you always try and think the best of everybody, you know, give them, give them the benefit of the doubt, and try and see it through the through that person's perspective now this uh this security guard is uh he's he's probably like i've, I've seen him there he's, he's he's not irish he's 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 black basically he's he his accent he sounds like he's maybe from like nigeria or somewhere like he's obviously he's obviously not been here very long and he is coming from a different culture to to Ireland now, now he's probably coming from a culture where people have a lot of respect for older people. Now, people don't have any respect for older people in this in the in the West. Basically, you know, we think we do, but we we all think they're either paedophiles or they're they're baby boomers who like you know got cheap cheap houses and all that kind of stuff. We we you know we we respect our own our own you know grandparents to some to some degree, but not that not that much. We don't really care that much. We don't see them. We don't interact with them you know we don't even interact with our parents really so we have a you know we have this completely fragmented you know 
um, sort of you know sort of family structures and things. But well, this guy probably didn't. He probably came from like when you, you know, when you travel to a lot of these countries, uh, like you know people who are older, you know, they have like a lot of respect. You know, people treat them treat them with respect. They talk to them with respect. They listen to what they say. They have a lot of control and all this kind of stuff. And so, so a different way to look at look at it is this security guard. He sees this old woman coming, and his first thought is that I don't want anything bad to happen to this woman. Like I don't want this woman to go in there and get the virus from one of my other, you know, from one of these people who are already in the bank or from the bank tellers or whatever. And I just I just prefer it for for her benefit if she didn't go in the bank because it make me feel like I'm doing my job here. I'm here to protect, you know, protect her and protect all the customers. Um, but, you know, so he, so he, and I reckon that is exactly what he was doing. He wasn't like, I mean, I've got the power, you're old, you're an old woman, you're too old, you're not allowed into my, into this bank, just go away. Um, but that's how you kind of, you know, you're, you're a human, re, human response, like you're, of your monkey brain is just that how how dare you not let me go into my bank like this is my human rights to to pay my bills um i should add she should be paying her bills online anyway and she doesn't own a she doesn't have a debit card or anything like it's like you know she had to send some money recently and she had to get like a, a bloody bank draft like what is it i don't even know what a bank draft is so so maybe it's a good maybe it's like a lesson a lesson can be learned from uh from 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 all sides um my 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 uh um my mother-in-law is kind of interesting because she actually lived in she kind of lived in south africa for a while and she's uh she, like again like thinking always try and think the best of people uh like this is you can you can scale this all the way up to to politicians and everybody else in society is um like so she 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 once said to me um oh i'm working like a black and i was like now that's going to be offensive to some people me saying that but just hang on before you start switching off so like it's one of those things like older people can say things like i remember my grand my granddad you know he would say you know he would say like pretty racist things but you know until probably till the age of 50 he'd probably never met anybody who wasn't you know like didn't come from a hole where he came from anyway and i was like i was like oh my god you can't say that you can't say that and she was like why not i'm like well this is kind of it's kind of racist saying that it's like a, and she was like but when i worked in when i lived in south africa like black people worked really really hard and i thought it was a good thing i thought it was like you know working really hard is you working like a black person so um I was like, I wouldn't, I probably wouldn't say it again, but I, I understand your, I understand where you're coming from, but it's just, you know, so, uh, <laughs> so yeah, so, so it's a, yeah, so it's very, it's very, it's very interesting sometimes trying to dig down why people, what this, what they're actually saying. There's so much like miss, I know my, I've, this is one of my pet things about how human beings are very bad, very bad at communicating with each other and very bad at, very very easily misunderstand what each other's actually saying and i think that's probably why it's that's a, that's probably the problem with it with um with social media you know if you can actually sit down with somebody like in this in this podcast you know so many people will often say um oh like when you actually say it it doesn't sound it doesn't it sounds different like i can actually when i can hear like the way you're speaking 
Like I've not got a voice. I've not got a voice that sounds like someone who is full of, you know, I'm not a very, I'm not a sort of bitter person. I'm not like an angry person. I'm not a, you know, I don't hate anybody. I actually really want to get on with everybody. And um, so when you actually hear someone saying it, it makes a big, it makes a huge, it makes a huge difference. And you tend to give people more that you see the human side to give more, more of the benefit of the doubt to somebody. Cause like, well, this person sounds, you know, it's not crazy. Um, you know, like if I, if I was to read out some of my emails I sent to people, you know, it's just not like a crazy person, you know, because you're just, it's like condensing. It's got all the, you know, it's just the, it's just the bricks. You've got no, you've got no mortar in there. It's just, just this like, that's like all this bits of information that you're trying to, you know, trying to send at the same time. And it's can be, you know, it can be, uh, it can, you know, it doesn't, you don't see like the nuanced kind of human, human side of these kind of things. So, so yeah, so I'm, I'm, I'm endeavoring, I'm endeavoring to, to, to try and think more like this. Like there's a lot of, there's a lot of people are talking about how people have handled things badly and, uh, you know all this all this kind of all this kind of stuff and there's going to be like you know you know repercussions and, and what, what's the other words anyway there's going to be shit to shit to, shit going on for a long time people saying why didn't we do this or you did this or blah 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 but like i, I really don't think anyone anyone really it, it, in, in certain stages people start thinking how can we how can i turn a profit from this situation or how can i do this but I think uh I don't think people like play too many games when they're under like a lot of pressure like if you're you know so so yeah so I, I and another another thing at the moment is one of my little things about trying to improve your so this is this is about pr- improving your the the landscape the, the your mental um, landscape in your brain in your mind to try and be hel- a healthier person like to have better mental health and one one thing is to avoid speaking in headlines and you know if you want to speak about something you should really really try and really try and understand it before you get like angry or you know start using it as a kind of weaponized headlines like you know this person is an evil person they've done this it's like before you know in order to win an argument really you know you don't really know what you're talking about you're just going by like a headline you're sewing on twitter or facebook or something like you know the more you i think the more you read into everything what people say what they do it, it takes like the fire out of it really and it becomes so complicated um you know the work the world is is a multi multi-dimensional and it's you know like for every you know for every for every kind of like thing you're completely sure about there's there's some universal truth but most of it is just multi-dimensional and it just becomes it doesn't become about the truth or become about it just becomes about you being right in that in that moment and stuff so i've been trying not to been trying not well basically i don't, I don't think in headlines because i tried to avoid reading any <laughs> reading any headlines so um it's quite good. It's quite good listening to podcasts that are maybe two months ago. Like all the podcasts I'm listening to at the moment are all talking about the thing happening, maybe at the t- at the moment. So it's quite good. It's quite good. Uh, see, you know, you're you're further down the line when people are giving giving advice of what to do or what's going to happen in the future. Like when you're in the future, it's a good. Uh, it's quite it's quite interesting to see. Like I'm a, I'm a huge fan of 
There's a series, uh, Firing Line, on YouTube, and it was from it's from the 1950s to you know it's from the 60s up going up into the probably into the 80s. Um, uh, William Buckley, as if, you know, William Buckley was famous for you know falling out with um, uh, Gore Vidal. There's a good, uh, there's a really good documentary on Netflix. I think it's about it's Gore Vidal and William Buckley, and Gore Vidal like comes out as like the hero of it, and. Uh, you know, Buckley's this kind of like narrow-minded, conservative asshole kind of guy. It's, it's you know, it's 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 it's, it's you know, it's designed for a certain audience. But like like with all these things, uh, if you make the effort to go back and actually watch loads of episodes of Firing Line, which was maybe like maybe like the thirty minutes an episode, but you know, but you got like interviews with Buckley and um, you know, like Norm Chomsky and. Uh, you know, like loads of people, like from the left and from the right, over, you know, over over decades, and it's like really, really great, really, really interesting. If you're interested in in uh, understanding the world we're in now, it's quite interesting to go, to go backwards, you know, twenty, you know, twenty, thirty years, and see what people were talking about, how they thought things would happen, and mm-hmm. and all these like minor characters who often were, were really interesting, but no one even knows who they are anymore. So. So it made, it made me, you know, you could have this kind of Netflix documentary view of, of uh, you know, Buckley and Govardhan, and or you can actually go and spend like you know fifty hours every time trying to understand, uh, you know, and, and watch some watch some Govardhan documentaries. Like Govardhan is like very very interesting character, but it takes effort. You know, why why put the effort in when you can just <laughs> you can just uh, you know read a headline so. Um, so I should really get on. I've been like ra- ra- rabbiting on. So I mean, try. I mean, consciously trying not to make that noise, that clicking noise. Um, so hopefully, hopefully, I've not been doing it. Um, I thought maybe I was gonna because I've not really got any, not any. I've I haven't really got any interesting uh, stuff to talk about. Uh, I'm I'm still in the middle of. Well, I'm, I'm almost at the end of doing uh, this down book. So I've just uh, emailed everybody out. Uh, email to loads of people the the backers of the book to sort of update their uh, update their de- their contact details for to send it out. So I'm ho- I'm really hoping I can have it done like within this within like the week. So I'll get that off and then I'll be that'll be that'll be amazing. Like that's this has been like it's it's like like I don't know. It's just it's really like it's I know it's it's very very bad to to say something's tough. You know, a lot of people have really hard jobs, and this is kind of this is kind of my job. But it's uh, the the men the mental strain of doing a doing a book all by yourself, like just writing a book, is kind of it's it's a little bit tricky because it's always in your head. But when you're like illustrating in it and designing it and stuff, like even like at the moment, I'm just going, I'm just trying to I'm just trying to I've got one more chapter to like finish off the the drawings, which I keep I keep putting it off to the to the end, but I'm. I'm going through, going back over loads of old, um, loads, loads of chapters I've already written, and it's just, oh, that there's like two, there's two full stops there, or, or there's not, a, there's not a space there between this, the, you know, the title and the thing, and it's all these like tiny little micro adjustments. So it's, or I had, I had, I had like a picture of two knives, and I was like, oh, really? And the knives are to scale properly. I have to like Google and find out what the actual length of the knives are, because that knife's a bit too bigger than the other one, and. Oh, I need to add in another knife because that knife's, you know, and it's just, it's lots of really tiny little things that just take so much time. And, you know, time, I think the the older you get, the more you realize how time is, 
is so you know you just don't get it back. It's the what it's the one thing like mo- most most of us we make a living by selling our time. You know we're not selling our you know we're not necessarily selling our skills or our you know our our muscle power. We're selling our time because time is this you know they're not they're not <laughs> it's like it has no value, but yet it's it's the most you know they they don't make it they don't make in you know that that second that just went past then you know that it's you know it's it's a <laughs> you, you know can't have it back again so um so I thought I thought maybe what I should maybe what I'll do I'll because uh, because there's nothing really going on um I'll just, I thought maybe I'll 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 do a bit of reading I'll read a, I'll read something from uh, some some uh, sort of booky type thing uh uh. I'm doing that thing now. I, I think I think I make that noise, and I'm not really sure what I'm what the hell I'm doing. So I probably do it quite a lot. Um. So 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 the so the last podcast, the last um, two like reading podcasts. So I read, I read a copy of um, I read I read uh, I read one thing which was I read the the, the Sea of Dreams, which was kind of non non linear, but on, but only by only a small bit. And then I read um, a block of uh, a block of wood, which was more kind of ab kind of abstract. So I'm gonna I'm gonna read you uh, this short again. It's only short. It's, uh, uh, how long is it? This one's a little bit longer. It's like one one two three maybe six pages long. Uh, and this is this is um this is something where you've this was written for a magazine. So it's got more more thought went into it. Where I think the other ones didn't. They were just like written written for a blog. So they were they were kind of like banged out a lot quicker. I think this was written for Climb magazine in about two thousand and fourteen, and it's a another chapter from this book I wrote. This this book that I did wrote. Um, uh, hi, uh, what's it called? Unknown pleasures. And uh, so I've not read this. I've not read this since I wrote it in 2014. So I'm reading. I'm reading it. I'm reading it blind. So I shall read it, and uh, and I'll we'll see we'll see what it's we'll see what it's like if it if it kind of makes it still makes any sense. So so it's called uh, Queen Maudland. My tired copy of Queen Maudland Antarctica, by Ivar Eric Tollefson is tatty, old, and in Norwegian. But it doesn't matter, because it has been treasured since I forked out a good chunk of my shop wages for it in 1995. It has made it through countless house moves, had had tea spilt on it, been stuffed under chairs, and dodged, (laughs) dodged piss beside the toilet. The beauty of this book is that the pictures speak for themselves. They tell a tale of a big team in a remote place climbing hard and pushing boundaries. This simple book is a book of dreams, a window to the wonderland of ice and rock spires so beautiful, remote and extreme that you could be fooled into believing it all it's all a fantasy, but it is not. Down in the far, far south, there is a place as remote as the moon. Its summits are seldom fre- frequented, and equally beyond all but those lucky enough to be deemed astronauts of stone. I love this book, and have re- revisited it many times, like the snapshots, snapshot of an unrequited love, always believing its contents to be beyond my touch. 
This book was my first insight into the mind of the Norwegians, a race who were bred for the cold. To challenge a Norwegian in Antarctica is to enter a breath-holding contest with a mermaid. I saw that in order to be successful in the cold, high places, one should attempt not to think like a Brit, but like a Norwegian. And so I began my study, climbing with them, hanging out, spending more and more time, absorbing just what it was that made them tick. I climbed the troll wall in winter with two of their modern greats, skiers and explorers, Alex Gamma and Tormod Grandheim. We spent 14 days on the wall at an average temperature of minus 20 degrees C. During the second week, I found out it was the first trad route of Alex had ever done. Coming home, I felt a little jaded by the climb and, un and unsure quite why I would spend so long on such a wall just to reach the top. All the pain didn't seem worth didn't seem worth it when weighed against the prize. I had somehow forgotten the lesson that no climb is in isolation from those that come before and those that will follow, that all such adventures lead to the next. Six months after the troll, an email popped into my inbox from Alex, inviting me to join him and a bunch of base jumpers and skiers in Queed Mordland. I blinked as I read the email, then read it again. Two months away from home, this was a long time. I suddenly doubted if I could leave my kids for that long. But so I, and so I reached up to my bookshelf and pulled down Tollefson's book, opened it and looked once more at that cold heaven. I knew that w whether or not to go was not my choice. After flying from Cape Town to Novo Base, the roar of a week of storm hid the silence of Antarctica from us. We, where we waited in rocking porter cabins for a window in, in which to make the final jump into space. I got to know Espen, Shasti, Ingeberg and Jonas, an, ex an eclectic mix with zero or minimal skills for Queen Maudland. We practiced putting up tents, lighting stoves and packing pulks, knowing that Antarctica is no place for the novice. A tent the base jumpers put up was ripped to pieces in five hours. A Russian standing over its shreds announced, announced out there you will die. With no chance of a rescue from the outside world, I lay in my bunk, feeling the wall bulge, and considered both our chances of success and of me making it out alive. I could really feel tensions in the group, a bunch of highly motivated and seemingly self-focused individuals strung together by opportunity. The only option was to make it work. On the seventh, on the seventh day, the wind died and we flew in, the noisy buzz of the twin otter wailing as we spiralled down into, into an emptiness surrounding an emptiness between sprouting rock spires that would break the heart of any climber. With a skip, we landed and split and split out, shouted and spilt out, shouting, laughing and sh and sh shedding the odd tear. This was followed by the by the smack of skis thrown down, the thump of bags until all the. F the fuselage doors slammed and the plane skipped away, lifted and turned to a pixel speck in blue. The drone of the engines faded to nothing in the frigid air. Then in my mind, the lingering memory faded, died, and the silence moved in for the kill. And then, like freezing cold water, there comes a shock of real silence, 
His ears strained, you try to hold on to something, real or imagined, from earth. But with a rush, the silence slips through your ears, or through your ears, and wipes away even that memory of old noises held there. That's when you know you are in Antarctica, and you are alone and isolated as any human on earth can be. On the first day, we clipped on skis and made our way up to Czech Ulvatana, a fortress of rock that broods on the edge of the cliffs that spill down onto the ice cap. I'd never seen such a mountain, and doubt nature had made any other like this. We stood and gazed up, mouths open, and marvelled at the and shuddered at the impenetrable. Impenetrable—it's very difficult. Stark and lofty, um, uh, as is a fortress against the dreams of the foolish men with high ambitions. This thought was this though was what we had come to climb, and then some of the team would make the base a base jump descent. It was a crazy idea dreamt up in the bars of Oslo, but now plain reckless in the frozen light of Queen Maudland. No, not re- not reckless, because we would never get that far. It could only be it could only offer ob- abject failure. The idea of climbing Ulvatana with such a team as this was pure fantasy. Four non-climbers, one climber who could crank eight air but didn't like loose rock, or do, um, or do aid and me. The easiest route was the Huber route, which was A four with obligatory hard free climbing. Um, was no was not really easy, just easier. It was like swimming the Atlantic instead of the Pacific because there would be fewer sharks. The idea of climbing such a line seemed impossible, and to get anyone up it harder still. But then to base and get down alive, that was fantasy. But I'm a dreamer, and I like the impossible. The trick I find the trick I find works best when approaching such a impossible objective is to think of something even more difficult. For example, I once had a plan to ski to the South Pole, which was, which seeing as it was a thousand kilometers of flat skiing, and she, um, it would make it make it quite a challenge. It seemed impossible, but when I tried to imagine crossing Antarctica, which would be twice as far and twice as impossible, all of a sudden, just skiing to the South Pole seemed reasonable. And so this was the approach I took for Ulvatana. I looked up at the mountain, a huge brooding castle of crumbling stone, and let my mind wander up the unclimbed south ridge, the last great unclimbed line in Antarctica. A huge barrel-shaped wall barred the way to a committing and obviously scary alpine ridge. It appeared to be the ultimate climbing challenge, bold, hard, long and dangerous. I imagined being up there in a storm, how there would be no way down, either from the ridge which would involve going up and down towards towers and coals in either direction, or the barrelled wall. The route had been tried three times by strong teams and all had failed due to storms and no doubt a sense of that with each metre they were tightening the noose, a feeling that I'd had many times in Patagonia. I stood in my, I stood in my skis on the first day and laughed at the idea that this non-climbing team ta- of tackling such a route, the sheer thought of it, crazy, it almost seemed that it could we could pull it off. The gods could never suspect such an such a surprise attack. 
allowed myself to imagine such a thing, a trick to make me believe we could climb something else. But bit by bit, day by day, we made other climbs and ticked off a list of objectives. I allowed myself to look over and began to believe that this dreamland, in this dreamland there could only be one objective. After all, we would never be coming back. Up and up, and up we went, day, weeks, pitch after pitch, no one easy or safe, but never boring. I led, I led most, but the others led too, each having some time in the sh- at the sharp end so we could never feel they were tourists or passengers. Shasti once said she didn't understand why I had to climb things that were hard and tough or gnarly. Why not just go skiing or base jumping? What was wrong with having fun? As we sat in the cooking tent, I told her that the greatest experience of our lives are the hardest, but that wondered if she was right. Was this beautiful woman so full of life and sunshine because she only sought out happiness and pleasure and thrill? Was I so full of conflict and darkness and turmoil because all I, all I thought about was pain? But, all, but on Olvatana, I think she got it. I trained her up to haul the haul and Jumar on B-Lane clean and she became my main partner, standing for hours in the inhuman cold, willing me on, never complaining. In one hour, in one hour you climbed one metre, she laughed once, when I wrapped down from a chimney that was was as, akin to being slowly wound, wound through a mangle. Her words were full of smiles, not the resentment of standing there all day, where, where even in down trousers and jacket were, were no match for the danger of the Antarctic night. We climbed capsule style, first up the barrel wall and from a rock garden at the top, committed to each section, unable to get down unless we stripped the upper pitches. Each day, by twos and threes, we jugged up the, jugged up the slow disintegrating ropes and pushed them out, then descended the nerve-jangling ridge. Here and there were places I prayed no one would die, loose sections with hanging blocks and sharp edges that soared at 10 millimetres of nylon, no matter how cautiously you weighted the ropes. Each time we reached the tents, I felt a deep sense of relief before we'd scurry into sleeping bags and warmth, knowing it was only a matter of time before there was an accident. I slept beside Shasti in the same tent as Espen and Ingeberg, who had become as close as brother and sister, the lives of us all in, in my hands. I'd only seen my girlfriend back in Sheffield for about five weeks in the last year, both of us tied up in separate lives, separate dreams, a long isolation of loneliness. But now with this team, I felt the echo of that loneliness reflected in their relationship. One morning, I walked with my frozen arm around Shasti. As I lifted it, I heard the, the lightest of moans, a sound that caused my heart to break. For a moment, I thought I'd fallen a little in love. Only in a dream, only a dreamland love, not a love that would last. Deep down, I knew this wasn't. It wasn't that. It was a fe- But as the feeling rose, that love I had at home could not withstand loneliness. I was simply not. It was simply not enough to keep me safe in places like this. The pitches rolled on and on, up and up, passing mousetrap walls and gardens of alien stone, until we thought we had reached the top a horn that blocked the summit, a steep and twisted and gearless overhanging uh, ridge like the index finger raised to all those who had believed they could get to the, get this far. 
we were the first it was beyond it was beyond uh it was beyond me how to climb it but so had been so many other things on the south ridge so i tried half aiding until a crack ran into a cr- into crumbling mortar leaving heavy boils of stone to bridge and slightly pull and then i saw it hidden from below suddenly appearing a hole just big enough for a man who had lost 15% of his body weight to pass into. But where did it go? To the top or somewhere else? I no longer cared. It was pothole tight and I wormed away in tatty shell and ripped trousers, my boots now full of holes, tapping the stone until with a squeeze I popped out on a vertical face of Patagonian-style snow. Moments later, I fell, my fingers just grasping a Camelot 5, I willed myself on, against failure, through the snow, and there was the summit of Olvatana, only, only 30 metres of scrambling away, the last great climb my arse. <laughs> we reached the summit together and descended the same day. It was the longest, hardest day I'd ever spent in the mountains. 36 hours that pushed me so far I went deaf in one ear. It took up several days, it took us several days to recover, but bit by bit, we put ourselves back together and began to pack. The last day we spent removing all traces and leaving the wind to do the rest. Our snow walls were now rounded, not square. Our igloo deflated by the sun. What remained would be dismantled by the winter storms that were already gathering in the white. When the plane arrived, we jumped and whooped like Americans and then nervously packed it so tight we feared we'd never get off the ground. Then, one by one, we climbed in to leave, some clambering up like shipwrecked sailors dropped in, a, dropped in a net, others lingering, one foot on the ice and the other on the rung of reality. It, I was the last aboard, climbing up slowly like a man walking away from his love, his heart broken, not daring to look back. The co-pilot looked before he closed the door, smiling. Somehow, we'd survived perhaps the most radical expedition ever to visit Antarctica. We had done it. We had fulfilled the chance we had been given. The plane's engines fired and everyone whooped once more, all eager for food, showers and beds, all but one. I don't want to leave, I said, staring out the window, knowing that as soon as I would, I would, sooner we'd be back in the real world, where I would no longer be the alpha male, but a human being, who knew his life would fall apart after this? I knew Queen Maudland was not real. What we had done, felt and known, with certain, with certain, tet with certainty, was unreal. These things, these mountains and experiences, a place in our imaginations, even if we never knew, acknowledged that they were there. I think you should leave me, I said, my heart breaking, but my words were lost in the in the engine noise as the empty silence throttled back, retreated one more time, and with a roar, we flew back towards the world. So, that's... Uh, there's a few bits in there. There's a few... There's, a, there's a, some good bits in there. There's some bits that aren't so good. Uh, like, I don't think it... I don't think it... I don't think it's, it needs, like, a, a connecting paragraph uh, to... to to identify that we actually decided to climb the wall. Like, basically, you could make this one story about Queen Maudland into, like, a 100,000-word book, and here it's maybe, like, 
like one thousand five hundred words. So you're trying to con- you're trying to condense a lot of information into a into a very small, um, you know, <laughs> quite a small story, which you, which is dead easy. You could do you could write it as as one paragraph, which would be you know you could write in like five hundred words, and that that might that might be better than than a hundred thousand words, and it might be better than than this this as well. Um, like I'm not very good at reading it, so that kind of spoils it a little bit. But there's a few bits when I'm and I'm reading it, I'm like, oh, that sounds a bit cliched, or that sounds a bit too too obvious. Uh, like I think if you, I, like I think in a way you always you want you always want to be turning it down, turning your turning your your writing down. Uh, like make it keep making it as simple as you can. Like don't I can't I can't see what there was a few bits in here where it's like oh god I don't like that bit. Um, so this so I guess this was written six six years ago and i think you just you just get you just i don't don't feel i've really written anything of any you know i don't feel i've written that much in those six years but i do feel like i i do know more i have a better idea um of what is what i like in writing and uh my my bullshit bullshit cliche sort of meter uh detector is is more finely tuned, really. Uh, so I'm gonna, I like when I finish this, when I finish the da- the down book, I am I am going into, I am going into like writing a, a fictional book, and so hopefully, like now, if I can see this now in things I've written in the past, it makes it makes it, you know, hopefully that gives me some confidence. I can I can uh, see that as I'm writing something else, and just uh, you know, because it's very it's very hard to write stuff that's simple. Uh, like it's this way it's much easier to write something that's you know very flowery and full of all like lots of cliches or you know or, or where you just everything is like bang 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 you're just describing every single thing that's going on um it's very subtle how how you can <clears throat> like there's no there's no just description of Olvatana here and if you've not seen it you know it's quite interesting to imagine what how you view it in your mind as I'm as I'm reading this, reading this, there's no description of any people. You don't know what they look like, but yet you've somehow got an image of them in your head, maybe. Um, but it's actually it's actually got some it's actually got some depth. Some the real depth in it is probably the idea that this thing about where I where I wake up with my arm around somebody else. Uh, that's that you know that's that's. Um, you know, that's kind of un- that's kind of unusual, and it's I don't know if I read it properly because I was kind of I was, I was I was shocked when I started reading it that I'd written that. So um, a very a very good like I think basically this after this trip to Queen Maudland, I had a kind of a men- I had a basically had a mental breakdown, and I think it was actually the the culminate the culmination. It wasn't going to Queen Maudland. That was just uh, that was kind of the could I say that was the beginning of it or maybe that was the end of it that was like the you know like I think I think a mental breakdown is a is a really really helpful is a really good thing in a way <laughs> you know you can it's it's a, like a re, it's probably like a reset of uh you know you, you it's very dam it's very damaging to everybody around you and stuff but if you can somehow get through it it's a very um you know you kind of just I think after this after this trip I think I realized there was like so much in my life that was in a in a mess and uh stuff that had probably been unresolved for a long for a long time probably um you know like relationship things or how I saw 
the what you know I was so the wild I had like a re- I always had a real chip on my shoulder I didn't you know I was you know I I, I kind of view I kind of view the world yeah I kind of view the world I think most people have a view of the world now um, <laughs> so it sounds a bit, kind of a bit patronizing. But I think it makes people like mentally ill. I think this kind of view, this uh, combative, you know, chip on my shoulder um, kind of view was not very, it wasn't helpful to me as a human being to be um, happy or productive or whatever. So, yeah, so this, the, the end of it, so the, you know, the, the this was probably, this was probably the breaking point where I came back and I just, it just cut my whole life like fell fell to pieces basically like kind of everything was everything was you know there's some there's some pieces that are yet yet to be you know m- mended after this like six years six years down the line but um uh it was it was uh yeah it's kind of interesting like someone someone once told me that if you go on an expedition you should never make any radical changes afterwards uh for about two weeks that was his that was his, his that was her actually that was her uh thing because uh people often but like, you'll probably find this now with this what's going on right now is that you know people have this uh you know things have to change i need to do and i'm gonna leave my husband or i'm gonna uh, you know gonna buy a, a dog you know <laughs> you're gonna do you know i'm gonna get a you know subscription to you know some some you know vogue or something you know but people, people like you know they want they want these rad they want to change something and they make this big change but I think often you do need to. Maybe that's your monkey brain. Your monkey brain is maybe like in so in some kind of pain or whatever, and he wants like a he wants an immediate. You know, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna buy a, a like a friend of mine. He just bought a um uh, one of those electric one of those electric cars. Um, uh, God, my brain. What's wrong with my brain at the moment? Uh, anyway, a uh, a uh, 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 God. What's his name? Um, Thingy, uh, oh fuck! I can't, I can't be asked thinking about it. Anyway, but one of those electric cars, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, and uh, and uh, funny because Vanessa, my wife, was like, "Oh, is it a hybrid one?" It's like, no, they don't. They don't make a Tesla. It's like, no, they don't make hybrid cars. Teslas, you know, you know. Anyway, so um, you know, it's obviously some kind of mental. It's obviously some kind of mental, you know, some sort of midlife crisis, like buying a Tesla or something. And. Uh, Especially when suddenly petrol costs like nothing; it's like free, basically. Uh, yeah, but people people often do these things because there's something fund there's something fundamentally wrong in their in their life, or something that needs to be changed or dealt with. But they can't they can't deal with that, so they they try and change some other things. You know, it's like you know, say you've got some you know, there's there's like a horrible smell in your house, and you don't know what you don't know what it is. So instead of moving house, because you realise you you know you you're all you've been built a house and over like an Indian burial ground, you know you just start you know well, let's let's buy a bigger television or something or let's you know let's, let's start drinking drinking more to hide the smell. Um, so it's, yeah, so it's often it's often interesting these stories people write when you actually know people what was really going on. Often they're not very they're not very sort of truthful and and also people don't. Nessie don't want to hear the whole story. Uh, like you, you have that a lot when people are having going through, you know, relationship problems. You know, you, I often say you can you can have one conversation about your relationship problem, and that's it. I don't want to I don't want to talk about it anymore. Like, and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna 
I'm not going to have loads of emails with you about it because it's it's pointless. You know, just you know, you just got you just got to deal with these things. You know, eventually. We were watching one of those programs last night. It was like six my six six hundred pound life, where someone weighed like six hundred pounds. You know, this like ginormous like woman. You know, and I was just like. I would just, I would just kill myself. Oh, I would, oh, if I was, if I was her husband. I would just kill her. You know, I'd put a pillow over her head and kill her just to put her out of her misery. And people were like, "Oh my God, how can you say something like that? That's, that's terrible." It's like, no, but look at her. Like she's, she's it's like it's beyond. You know, it's, it's, anyway. So, so I have like probably, I probably take that attitude into sort of other people, and they have like for some reason if you get in touch with some kind of relationship thing. It's like, you know, it's, it's just, uh, it's just like fiddling with a tooth with you know like a bad tooth in your mouth after a while it's like you're actually getting something out, you're getting something out of it there's some there's something it's unhealthy you know just pull it just pull the tooth out <laughs> i'll stop going on about it um so yes yeah, so i guess i'll that I'll, I'll probably wind that up at that point because i don't know where I'm, where I'm really going with this but uh well maybe i know i was going with it the maybe maybe the Maybe one of the th- one of the tricks of writing or talking about these things is being able to talk about something that people want are interested in but don't want to talk about or don't want to listen to. So, so my story about you know, like my seventy five year old mother in law, you know, interacting with a Nigerian, you know, you know, there's this, there's a there's a story there. There's a, there's a lot of stuff about about like you know immigration and race and culture and all this kind of stuff that we should always be talking about because it's really really interesting stuff and it's very revealing about us but no one fucking talks about it because everyone's too afraid so so the, the the ability to the ability to transfer some information about something about you having a mental breakdown or something being wrong in your life in a way that's very easy to read and it leaves it very open ended is uh is is you know maybe that's the maybe that's the the art of it is trying to do that where people will read what you've written or listen to you doing a podcast so i had this thing in ages ago about having a having a locked in locked in life syndrome like locked in syndrome but in your in your life and I've had like amazing a number of people who were, who email me like this this exactly describes my life and no one's no one's ever said it like that before this exactly describes my life you know this is just so just using this one little term locked in life syndrome it's like that this person this person gets it you don't need to go into it you can just you know and, and i'm almost like don't, don't send me more emails i'm not interested in your locked in life so uh so yeah so, so maybe that's the maybe that's the art of like writing is is trying to impart like a, a huge amount of a huge amount of data in as as few words as possible and i think i said last week to to somebody um cameron mcneish i think that that writing is being able to put your words into somebody else's brain or your ideas in somebody else's brain so the more the the bigger the idea for the smaller number smallest number of words is probably the the ideal way the idea way of doing it you know a bit like how you you know you used to get a you'd buy a a memory card for a camera and you'd be like one megabyte and it would cost you like 50, 50 quid and now you can get one that's like a terabyte and it costs you you know the same amount of money so it's there is that thing you're trying to impart lots of information and in, in, a, in a very small space of time 
So, so yeah, so I, I apologize. That still wasn't like a, that still wasn't um, a bit of writing where I'd be like, oh, that was really, really good. I'd still, it's still not that good in my mind, but it's kind of, okay. it's okay. It's okay for, for what it is. I'll, I'll, I'll have to try and, I'll have to try and maybe have to, if I, and I can finish this book next week, maybe I'll start, I'll maybe have to write something, see if I can actually write something that's, that that works, that actually I could stand, stand by and think that's, you know, as perfect as I can do, so... Yeah, so I shall. I shall. I'll, uh, one last bit of um, one last bit of uh, housekeeping. I I'm gonna do a I'm gonna do a, a talk this week, like a like YouTube, Facebook Live talk, and I think I'm gonna do it on uh, Wednesday at eleven o'clock, at eleven p.m. Uh, and it'll be on. Um, I'm gonna do my uh, my slideshow. I did like 2018. Uh, which is called, I think it was actually called Psycho Vertical, which is about uh, anybody, some people probably have seen it, but it was about like, uh, uh, it was like talking about my first trip to the Alps and it's, then it's, co- it's inter- inter- intermingled with stories about going to Solo, Sea of Dreams and things and various kind of adventures went on. So so that's going to be, I'll, I'll, I'll say it now. Is it, is it 10 o'clock? No, ten, we'll, we'll call it... Um, because it's because you have to try and do it at a time where people can watch it in America, and people can watch it in in uh, in the UK and Ireland and places. No, we'll call it seven o'clock. So if it's seven o'clock, it's eight hours behind. Seven o'clock, seven o'clock. Yeah, is that right? Seven o'clock. Yeah. So we'll say seven o'clock Wednesday night. I'm going to do Psycho Vertical, and it'll be on YouTube, and it'll be on probably be on Facebook, and it's like uh, Facebook Live. So if you go there and it says this slideshow is this this little Facebook Live is at you know three a.m. Pacific Crest, Pacific time. It's actually just ignore that bit. So anyway, anyway, so if you enjoy this podcast, uh, uh, <laughs> you're welcome. If you didn't enjoy this podcast, you probably didn't get to this bit. And um, don't forget to subscribe and all that kind of stuff. Keep 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 follow keep clicking on the YouTube thing. I need to get it up to I need to increase it because it's um, you know for some reason that he didn't need to uh, and uh, that'll be it so uh, I shall go and now go off and reduce all the noises in this podcast and uh, upload it thank you very much This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.